2: The unsurpassed, profound, and wondrous dharma is rarely met with, even in a hundred thousand million kalpas. Now I can see and hear it, accept and maintain it. May I unfold the meaning of
1: the Tathagata's truth.
3: Good morning, everyone, and welcome. For newcomers, I'm Taigen Leighton, the guiding Dharma teacher of Ancient Dragon Zen Gate. The topic this morning uh, is um, koan practice and the koan practice of Dogen Zenji and um, koan study and practice in Soto Zen. Uh, And our guest uh, this morning is Stephen Hine, the foremost uh, scholar of uh, Ehe Dogen uh, in uh, the West. Uh, I'm very happy to have Stephen here. Um, Where is he? I saw him before. He's somewhere here. Uh, Anyway, oh, there he is. Yeah. Hi. Uh, It's great to have so many people here. Uh, So... um, I want to introduce first uh, Stephen, and then say a little bit about koans uh, uh, for uh, folks who are new to our tradition and practice. So, uh, Stephen, is
1: the most scholar of Dogen
3: and perhaps of koans in the West, um, he's written prolifically. I, I, I think about 35 books. I think Stephen himself has lost count of how many books he's written. But uh, just to mention a very few, and I have not had the uh, pleasure of reading all of them, I have to confess. But one of the most important, in my opinion, is Dogen and the Koan Tradition, one of his earlier books, which actually uh, goes over – what, how Dogen approached koans compared to the regular koan tradition. Another book I want to just uh, highlight is called Did Dogen Go to China? But it's um, it's uh, an important book in terms of uh, talking about Dogen's uh, career. Dogen lived 1200 to 1253, is the founder of Soto Zen. And um, there's a lot of misconceptions about who who he was and what he what he wrote and uh, in that book Stephen really clarifies um, uh, the range of Dogen's work. Um, he wrote many other again Stephen has written many other books, including many books on koans. There's ones and koans. I don't know if you can see these and another uh, anthology, the koan that he um, edited with. Uh, Dale Wright, who spoke here a few months ago, uh, 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 Stephen has written a number, edited, co-edited a number of anthologies, uh, a few by himself and many with Stephen, with uh, Dale Wright, I um, contributed to a few of those. Anyway, um, so he has a hu- Stephen has a huge body of work. I'm going to say a little bit about um, koans. Uh, there are many popular misconceptions in the West about what koans are. Um, they are Just for example, koans are not uh, nonsense riddles to confound logical mind and riddles that you have to solve to become enlightened or something. Uh, rather, I would say koans are teaching stories. Um, the classic koans from oh, um, 1,200, 1,300 years ago that remain as um, uh, teaching stories that help us see our own practice. Some of them are, uh, many of them are dialogues between uh, teachers and students, or uh, between teachers. Uh, some of them are very short. Some of them are rather longer and involved. Um, but um, there have been lots of
1: ways in which. Uh,
3: most when you say koan practice in the West, now most people think of uh, the traditions which use koan curriculums. So, uh, f- 400, 500, 600 koans that one studies with a teacher and tries to uh, uh, go through uh, one after another. That's one common tr- uh, practice amongst uh, traditions in the West. Um, another tradition that goes back uh, to um, uh, maybe a century before Dogen, the huato practice, which is to focus on just one word or sometimes a, fra- a long, a little a longer phrase. So for example, uh, one of the most famous koans, uh, did, does a dog have a Buddha nature? And the great teacher, Zhou or Joshua in Japanese, said mu, actually wu in Chinese, but mu in Japanese. And, and in some traditions... Uh, students spend decades just focusing on this Mu. Now, that's part of the longer story. Dogen and the Book of Serenity, the koan uh, collection that we use most often um, in Soto Zen, it involves, and also in Zhaozhou in or Joshu's recorded sayings, there's a longer story where a monk asked, does a dog have Buddha nature, and Mu means literally, well, literally not although what it means is complicated. But uh, uh, in the longer version, one time Zhao Zhou said no, another time he said yes, and he gives um, doctrinal reasons for, for the, each of those answers. So uh, this is uh, a longer um, uh, version of the story, so, or what what um, Stephen sometimes calls the scenic route uh, for koans. uh So, uh, again, just in this brief introduction, uh, there are maybe three main koan collections that are used in the West now. They're not the only ones, but the Mumon Khan or Gateless Barrier, which uh, starts with this mu koan. Uh, Dogen never knew about that, that collection. Also, the Blue Cliff Record, which he did know about. And then the Book of Serenity I just mentioned, he knew the cases and the verses, but not the commentaries, not the whole. Uh, collection that we know now. But there were many, many, many different koan collections in Dogen's time and some written since. Uh, so um, there are many different different koans, different koan collections. A lot of the cases uh, uh, are, are in numbers of these collections. Um, but also it, it should be said that Dogen uh, again, lived 1200 to 1253 and founded what we now call Soto Zen. Koan literature from China to Japan, and he was a master of koans in his, uh, in Dogen's work, Shobo Genzo, True Dharma, I Treasury, and also in his uh, extensive record. He refers to koans regularly uh, in this kind of scenic route that Stephen will talk about. And so he really uh, was a master of koans and introduced them to Japan. So that's just a little bit of a, a brief introduction to what koans are. And I'm going to call on Stephen now to say more. And, and we will talk about a few examples of koans and how they're used. So Stephen, thank you very much for being here again. Stephen has been here before uh, at Ancient Dragon's Zen Gate, and it's always a pleasure. Thank you.
1: So,
3: take it away, Stephen. I think you're uh, still muted.
4: I had to do the unmute Co on yes. um, <laughs> so uh, ty, thank you, ty again, for the introduction and uh, it's always a great pleasure to join your uh, group and um, you know in the zoom world, we have the advantage that some some people uh, from afar can can also join. Um, And uh, I, I, uh, you know, one of my favorite topics is koans. It wasn't always that way. I remember when I was in graduate school, I used to, um, uh, and I was first um, studying Dogen. In those days, it was the mid and late 1970s. And the first uh, translations and studies of of Dogen were uh, coming out. Uh, He Jin Kim's famous book, um, Dogen, Mystical Realist. Uh, There were translations in a journal called The Eastern Buddhist. Uh, there were uh, a variety of other books. Uh, Kenneth Roshi had a translations. Um, uh, Reho uh, Masunaga, a professor in Japan, uh, had some English translations. And it, it was first getting going. And, um, it, you know, it wasn't clear, uh, I think, at the, in those days, you know, exactly what Dogen's view of uh, koans was. Heejin Kim made a very good point that Dogen did emphasize koans, and this was a bit of a uh, shock to some people because uh, the there had been a kind of stereotype that had built up for a couple hundred years, actually, in Japan uh, that um, that uh, Dogen and Soto-zen emphasized uh, Zazen, Shikantaza, um, uh, just sitting, uh, but not necessarily koans because koans were emphasized by the uh, Rinzai-zen sect. And in the very competitive environment, uh, religious environment of uh, The uh, early modern period in Japan, going back to the 1700s, when the uh, shogun had um, tight supervision of all uh, religious uh, groups and and most other aspects of uh, Japanese society. Um, In in sanctioning uh, religious organizations and supporting them in various ways, the shogunate uh, would um, regularly ask each group to define itself what is its mission? What is its unique uh, status? And so it was very important for the two main Zen factions, Rinzai and Soto, to define themselves differently, because if they were if they were too similar, there was a threat that the shogun would um, say, "Well, why do we need uh, two two sects if if you're doing pretty much the same thing?" So a kind of stereotype set in, partly by uh, out of um, self-definition at the time, p- perhaps for the um, reasons that were convenient to what was happening in the socio-political sphere of the era, uh, Dogen was defined as uh, not necessarily doing um, koans. And if you read um, Japanese sources about, about Dogen, uh, that, that view tended to prevail into the 20th century. So when Dogen was being introduced to the West for the first time, it was a little bit unclear. Uh, That's why I was eager back in 1993 or 4 to publish the book on Dogen and the Koan tradition. By then it had started to uh, uh, be apparent that um, Dogen was involved in in Koans. He had a special collection of 300 uh, Koan cases for which he did not write commentary, but he also had another collection of 90 koan cases that was uh, translated by uh, Taigen and Shohaku Okamura in Dogen's extensive record, where there are um, generally four-line verse commentaries on the koans. And that if you look in um, Shobogenzo, Treasury of the True Dharma Eye, and you look at the various chapters or fascicles in that text, you see dozens and dozens of koans regularly being cited. Sometimes it's hard to identify them because they are alluded to they are mentioned indirectly in passing one of the things that dogan i think tried to do was um to uh, get across so many themes and ideas and and people and um and and their um uh, dialogues that were ascribed to them so quickly to his audience that it goes by very fast sometimes and and you have to you know 800 years later we're 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 able to take the time and to try to read it step by step with various uh, other resources, dictionaries and reference books to try to clarify exactly what was going on. So what where does uh, Dogen stand with relation uh, to koans? Um, uh, That's something that I'm still trying to figure out. Um, Back in graduate school, I said I like everything about Dogen, but the koans. I didn't realize because at that time. Uh, that's what I, uh, that's the view I accepted. But as, as the years have gone by, I'm still trying to uh, wrestle with this uh, approach. Uh, what was Dogen's view and and where did he get that view and how do we understand it? I, now, I think, can I um, do a share screen? Um,
3: David, can you, uh, can you give co-host? Uh, can you, yeah, um, yeah.
4: Can you see that? Yes. Yes. Wait, uh, I had two images up. I meant it to... Okay. Can you see the map? Yes. Okay. So uh, this map is just the kind of overview of, um, of Dogen's uh, travels in his lifetime. Uh, at the bottom portion, you see Dogen's uh, first trip when he went from uh, the uh, southern island of Hakata or Kyushu and the port town of Hakata in, in Japan to uh, China and 1223, uh, to 1227, um, and, um, the upper portion, uh, shows, uh, later periods in Dogen's life when he moved from, uh, his first temple, Koshoji in Kyoto, to a Heiji, uh, temple up in the northern mountains, and then also visited the town of Kamakura for six months, uh, before, uh, a few years before he died. Um, but let, let's focus on his trip to China, and, uh, Uh, Dogen um, was known to have studied uh, Zazen um, in Kyoto at the first Zen temple that had been established in Kyoto um, by a monk named Asai. Uh, The temple was established in 1202. And uh, Dogen uh, first practiced uh, the Tendai school of uh, Buddhism, but he was quickly dissatisfied with that, had a doubt about its methods. And quickly moved to um, uh, Keninji Temple in Kyoto, founded by Aesai, where, where Zazen was emphasized. Um, this was the first time that uh, Zazen and the, and the general Zen approach was being uh, prioritized in Japanese, um, in Japanese history. Uh, and, and Dogen was there for probably at least six years, maybe up to uh, seven or eight or nine years. The biography is a little bit vague when you look at those uh, early years of Dogen, uh, but he was he was practicing Zazen there for at least uh, six or eight years. And he talks about that in later writings, especially Shobogenzo Zui Um And um, uh, uh, Zazen was practiced. We don't know if koans were being practiced or not. So Asai, who founded Rinzai Zen and was the first um, Zen teacher, had been to China and he brought back a lot of Zen ideas. But he also tended to mix those with the Tendai school in, in Japanese Buddhism. And um, actually, Zazen was known for le- at least four centuries in the Tendai school, but it was considered one of several possible practices. It was not an exclusive practice. It was not necessarily the main priority. Asai, who started breaking off from uh, Tendai and started the first uh, a couple of Zen temples, the first one in Kyoto was Kininji. Um, did emphasize Zazen, but we don't know if it was ex- exclusively emphasized. Chances are, it's, it seems like it was mixed with other Tendai rituals, and that's what Dogen knew for uh, anywhere from six to eight or nine years, and the um, beginning around 1214, 1215, until he went to China in twelve twenty three. Okay, I'll I'll end that uh, screen share. Um, th- uh, the um. Uh, uh, when he went to China, uh, what happened to him there? Well, he was further exposed to uh, Zazen practice. Um, when he studied with his uh, teacher, Ru Jing, in, um, in Kyoto, uh, excuse me, in China, um, it's clear that he did intensive uh, uh, Shikantaza, um, and uh, his, his own enlightenment experience came during um, a Sesshin, where Shiken, shikantaza uh, was being practiced now let's go back to koans what did he know about koans in kyoto before he got to china it's very much unclear he does not refer to studying koans during that period now when he went to china it was with um, another japanese monk who was asai's uh, disciple named miuzen and there is one relatively obscure and therefore kind of unreliable record so we we can't, we don't know if this was Something that was uh, started out as a legend, uh, or you know, is historically valid. But there is an obscure um, record attributed to Miozen where he he reflects on Dogen, or he remembers that Dogen had some conversations with Asai about koans, and that he had a a moment of realization uh, during the uh, discussion, and he was uh, very much affected by it, according to Miozen. But Uh, even if that record is reliable, it's very um, brief and sparse. And it's not clear that this was um, any kind of extensive or prolonged period of study. Now, what happens when he gets to China? Well, yes, he does emphasize Shikantaza. There's no question about that. And he um, was there for four years. The first two years, he said he was very unhappy, very dissatisfied because uh, he didn't feel that uh, most of the teachers he encountered were sincere. And then in 1225, um, and, and Miozen happened to uh, 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 get ill and die at that time, uh, but um, it gave Dogen an opportunity to um, to go and, and, and prepare for uh, Miozen's funeral. And then he met his new teacher, uh, Rujing, and a couple of months later, during the Sesshin, he had the experience of dropping off body mind or casting off body mind shinjin datsuraku and gained enlightenment. Um, what about the koans? Well, okay, here's where I want to try to sum up a vast uh, historical um, aspect uh, very very briefly. Um, we know that by when Dogen came to uh, China in the 1220s, that uh, Chinese uh, practice was divided into two camps based on uh, koans. Taigen alluded to this. There was the uh, what, what's often called the shortcut approach, where you look at the koan as a kind of uh, riddle to be solved. Um, and um, then the uh, what I've called the scenic route, or we could also call the roundabout approach, where uh, koans are study tools. And instead of looking for the shortcut, you uh actually try to extend and elaborate and continue the discussion of the uh, koans. So let me come back to that point in a minute. How important were koans overall in Chinese Zen for um, for that period? Well, uh we have to consider that uh the Chinese Zen that we um, that we know of that greatly influenced dogan and and, and uh, many other features of Zen that that are practiced today. Uh uh, had been developing for a number of years. Um, Bodhidharma, the first patriarch, was said to have uh, come in the 500s. Uh, Huineng, the sixth patriarch, who's probably the single m- most famous figure, uh, was um, in the uh, seven, early 700s. And um, uh, uh, the uh, Zen masters of that period started having these um, intense dialogues where there was a lot of wordplay, punning, Um, And a lot of um, attempts to, you know, what seems like attempts to kind of outsmart a rival figure or a teacher scolding a disciple or a disciple proving that he can match the teacher in knowledge and wit. And uh, there was a storehouse of these um, dialogues and anecdotes about the interactions between master and master or master and disciple or sometimes a master, uh, a Zen master and a figure from another tradition or a secular figure. Um, sometimes a government official there were uh, uh dozens and dozens and hundreds and hundreds of uh, stories some at some point they said there were seventeen hundred of these stories but that 's you know that 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 figure is kind of meaningless really because there's there 's many more than that if you try to count them all up in all the uh, various books um, and and they began to um in China and China beginning in ten hundred they began to catalog these and comment on these with poetry prose and what's called capping phrases or succinct uh, kind of paradoxical or ironic cryptic remarks about uh, different aspects of the koans. And uh, it became very intricate, very complicated. Um, and you really needed um, a lot of uh, literary background to study it because it was very much integrated with Chinese literature and poetry. Um, uh, art became very much involved because the stories of the koans were being painted and then poems were often, uh, created and inscribed on the painting, sometimes by uh, a different uh, figure. So we refer to this period as being filled with monk poets and monk painters, uh, because uh, the monks uh, were often involved in the literary and the, and the fine arts. Um, and sometimes they interacted with uh, secular figures who were uh, known as literati, who were very well-educated people, often involved in the government, um, and uh, Dogen was um, the second main figure after Asai who came from Japan um, and was able to kind of ride the wave of this new tradition. So my point here to sum up uh, so far is that when Dogen got to China, he knew about Zazen and Zazen had been practiced in Japan. He didn't realize probably uh, how much his teacher in China would emphasize Shikantaza. That was new to him, it seems like. And that's what he, you know, one of the main things that he brought back. But when he got to China, he probably didn't know at all or just had a a vague glimpse of the idea that the koan dialogues were also so important. That in almost all the uh, written work and the written work was usually oral deliveries. You know, again, Taigan, Taigan has uh, translated Dogen's extensive record. Most of that was, oral um, Dharma discourses or um, sermons delivered in the Dharma hall uh, that were eventually recorded. And when you look at those one by one, they almost always refer to a koan dialogue uh, either directly or an indirect allusion, And that was what Dogen was, um, became immersed in. Now coming in 1220, he also was aware that the debate between the two, Uh, Interpretations, shortcut versus scenic route or roundabout uh, approaches to koans had been pretty intense, Um, and the uh, the rhetoric, the polemic was was very uh, harsh sometimes, and uh, the two sides referred to each other as uh, as fools a lot of times. And Dogen has has said some of that in some of his writings that you know people who understand it the other way uh, you know don't have don't have a real knowledge of Zen, and that was going back and forth, but. Uh, Even though Dogen himself expressed some of that harsh rhetoric, uh, we can get a sense that he knew both sides very well. And he was able to see it objectively coming from Japan, gave him a unique view. So he wasn't as wrapped up in some of the rivalries that that seemed to be going on in in China at the time. But, okay, so next step is uh, what is Dogen's view? And I'm going to refer to one particular um, koan. As representative of his approach, and this is in the uh, Shobogenzo uh, fascicle called um, in Japanese Shinfu Katoku, or the Ungraspable Mind, <clears throat> which is uh, you know appears in most of the translations you would find Kastanahashi or uh, Nishijima of um, Shobogenzo or Treasury of the True Dharma Eye, and in this um, in this uh, fascicle. Uh, Pretty much the entire uh, chapter is dedicated to uh, Dogen interpreting a koan uh, based on uh, a figure named um, uh, Toksan or Deshan in in Chinese. So Toksan is um, famous in a couple of different koan stories because he uh, lived in the early days of Zen in China. So this goes back to the 800s. And he was known to be an expert on Mahayana Sutras, especially the Diamond Sutra. And they say that he would carry in his backpack as he traveled around uh, China um, all his notes taken on the Diamond Sutra. And then he would tell people uh, uh, when he met people, he'd say, I'm the king of the Diamond Sutra. Um, And, you know, they're kind of poking fun at him. But he, he no doubt had a great expertise in interpreting these scriptures, as did many other, other monks. And, you know, the Zen view is that the scriptures are not worthless, but uh, their, their value is relative to uh, deep inner realization. And um, according to the, uh, to the Koan, um, uh, uh San has heard about uh, Zen. He wants to explore it. In those days, the Zen temples were generally south of the Yangtze River, so it was known as the Southern School. And he was traveling south and into a couple of provinces where there were many Zen temples, mainly uh, Hunan and Jiangxi provinces, if you, if you, if you look at the, um, a map of China. Um, and um, uh, apparently he stopped at the side of the road, and there was an older uh, woman uh, selling um, refreshments. And the uh, refreshments in um, in the Japanese pronunciation are called ten shin, which literally means pointing to the mind. And the idea it was that uh, in those days, every uh, town, every village, every neighborhood, every family, and maybe almost every uh, person who who did some cooking had a particular style of refreshment that they made that. Uh, that was um, true to their own mind. That's why it was called pointing to the mind that kind of captured the essence of that person. So maybe, you know, to an outsider, they all tasted like uh, biscuits or they all tasted like pancakes or something, not that exciting. But in those days, it was very interesting for uh, people to try out the local flavor, you know? And um, by the way, tension in Cantonese pronunciation is dim sum. So that term is still used today um, with the same characters pointing to the mind, for, uh, you know, if you go to a Cantonese, uh, well, a different kind of Chinese restaurants today. So um, uh, uh, Toksan asks uh, the lady for um, a refreshment, for some tension. So she makes this great philosophical wordplay. I won't go into all the detail. You can read it in the translations. But basically, she says, well, uh, the Diamond Sutra said that the mind is ungraspable. So uh, where is the mind that you're going to refresh? And according to the basic story, it stops there. Toksan is bested by the lady. He, uh, you know, it's not clear exactly what happens to him. In some versions, he's um, he's immediately awakened. In other versions, he he doesn't know what to do and he just kind of stumbles off. And then he has other experiences where eventually he gets awakened by by a, a typical uh, Zen master at a temple. And then he changes and becomes one of the uh, great Zen figures. And he's known for um, his um, his strict uh, disciplinary approach where he would strike, he was known for striking um, disciples with his staff. Um, So fine. I mean, there's, there's dozens and dozens, uh, you know, Taigen mentioned three Koan collections, but there's actually dozens and dozens uh, of Koan collections that uh, were building up in China uh, with all kinds of different commentaries. And there'd be slightly different uh, variations on the stories. And sometimes the conclusions again would vary quite a bit, but, Basically, the, you know, each story had a central component that was carried over from um, commentary to commentary. Dogen comes in and does something uh, not 100% unique, but maybe we could say 85 or 90% unique because he's taking the roundabout approach. Now, he didn't invent the roundabout approach or the scenic route approach, but the basically what he does is looks at the dialogue and says, you know what? Everybody assumes that the lady... Uh, defeated Toksan, and do- Toksan walked away with his tail between his legs, so to speak, and had to go on to something else. But we're not going to just stop there. First of all, how do we know that the that the uh, person who challenged Toksan had a perfect understanding? Maybe she was just being clever. Maybe she was just trying to um, test him, but it doesn't mean that she had a complete understanding. And so he explores the possibilities of what could or would she have said if the dialogue was continued. And Toksan, we don't want to just leave him walking away defeated. Let's look at uh, Toksan's case and what could he or should he have said in that dialogue to counteract her. And he could have, you know, asked her a similar kind of question and put her on the spot. And this is emblematic of what Dogen is doing. Let's not ever stay put with the dialogue as a fixed uh, literary entity and say there's a correct answer to it one way or another. Let's integrate it into our own understanding. Now, when I say that he's new at this, but maybe only 85 or 90%, that's because other, you know, he could see that other uh, Chinese masters were doing somewhat similar and that they would say... You know, if I had been there, and you can still see this uh, kind of phrase comes through in in, in some of Dogen's writings, in, especially in the uh, extensive record uh, translated by Taigan and Shohaku, um, uh, where the uh, um, a Chinese master, and then Dogen picks up this tendency, would say, like, if I had been there, this is what I would have said. And then challenges the assembly because, again, the the discussions were usually part of a Dharma discourse or a sermon, what would you have done? Now, those parts of that interaction where he says, what would you have done, usually aren't recorded. Almost never, you know, the full content was recorded, unfortunately. Um, So what was transcribed and what we can read today is only a part of what was happening in those... um, uh, a Dharma Hall discourses, which was no doubt often very very exciting i mean there's, you know Dogen describes his teacher had a very electric atmosphere. the people were always being inspired by the the um, um, the charisma of his teacher 's uh, ability to challenge uh, his um, uh, his disciples and and that 's the atmosphere Dogan 's trying to create as well so um, before I uh, turn back to to taigen uh, let me um, uh he and I discussed that um, um, I would uh, open up, I would read one, and then I think uh, Taigen is going to make some more comments about it, because this deals with um, uh, a Chinese um, teacher in the Soto School, a couple generations before Dogen, named Hongzhi, that uh, Taigen has uh, written a uh, translation of some of Hongzhi's, uh works um, in Cultivating the Empty Field. So, um, in this uh, sermon, which is um, number one thirty-five in the extensive record, which uh, starts on page one sixty-two, if you get a chance to look at it, um, there's a very uh, there's a, the first part. Though um, again, mentions indirectly a couple of different koans, which I, which I won't go into, but he ends that portion of it with a uh, sentence. In a bowl, the bright pearl rolls on its own without prodding. And um, that, that phrase about the pearl rolling in the bowl is interesting because he takes that up in a couple of other uh, sections of his writings. Um, but then he cites um, a Hongjir, uh story, um uh or a, a, a place where Jir is telling a story or telling a, uh, a dialogue or t- explaining a koan. And Jir says that um, a master named Shui Feng asked the monk, where are you going? And the monk said, I'm going to do community work. And Shui Feng says to the monk, go ahead. That's the dialogue. And then... Um, Hongzhi mentions that another famous master had come along named Yunmen, and said, Shui-feng understands people according to their words. Now, we don't exactly know, or, you know, it's maybe open to interpretation. What did Yunmen mean by that? Was he criticizing Shui-feng, the earlier master, or was he praising him? Um, You know, could it be he understands people only according to the words and not to their to their actions? Or does he mean that he can kind of read through the words and knows what the real motivation is? Uh, You know, that's part of the open ended quality of a lot of the commentaries on the um, on the Koan cases. And then Hongzher comes back and says about the story, about the dialogue. Don't move. If you move, I'll give you 30 blows. Why is that so? For a luminous jewel without flaw, if you carve a pattern, its virtue is lost. And that's a very profound saying there, which I think Taigen would like to comment on. So, Taigen, would you would did you want to pick up that?
3: Yeah, thank you, Stephen. So, uh, the occasion of this uh, talk that. Uh, Stephen is talking about is on winter solstice, which is next week, and uh, Gershon is going to be speaking then. Um, after, uh, in the story in that's in the, reported in the extensive record, uh, Hongshu says, for a luminous jewel without flaw, if you carve a pattern, its virtue is lost. Dogen says about this, although these three venerable, venerable ones spoke this way, I, old man a, Dogen, do not agree. Great assembly, listen carefully and consider this well. So here is Dogen adding his view to a a traditional koan. He says, for a luminous jewel without flaw, if polished, its glow increases. So he's saying something a little different from what Hongzhi said. Hongzhi is saying, for a luminous jewel without flaw, if you carve a pattern, its virtue is lost. So they're talking about Buddha nature here, or that's one way to interpret it, that Hongzhi is saying, the Buddha nature is there already trying to um, uh, trying to polish it, trying to carve a pattern into it, trying to, e- even, you know, you might understand it as trying to train someone their original Buddha nature is lost. Dogen is saying, for a luminous jewel without flaw, the Buddha nature, if polished, its glow increases. So Dogen is saying... He's not saying that the Buddha nature isn't there originally, but he's saying um, that uh, the the jewel can become, can develop, can become great, can become, can express itself more fully. So the Buddha nature uh, can, Buddha nature can be trained, even though the Buddha nature is there already. Uh, don't damage it by 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 carving into it, and yet. Uh, Buddha nature, when shared, when expressed, can develop. So uh, it's, a, it's a point from Hongzhou. Dogen respects Hongzhou a lot. He quotes him quite a lot, especially an extensive record, but he's adding something to Hongzhi. So, um, uh, So I was going to... Um, uh bring up another story Well uh, uh this again,
4: is... just, can i let me just uh, yeah go uh,
3: ahead
4: after one go second ahead. yeah so i think i think that captures it very uh well um and um uh two points i'd like to make one is um an implication could be uh for Do- the, the reason dogan is saying that you have to uh, polish it because it's going increases is because in the Chinese context that he was uh had been familiar with, um, saying that the that the jewel is um already uh uh luminous without being polished could imply that you don't need to practice as much, that you don't need to do the Chicago right as much, right? And so, so uh, he he has to tweak it, he has to put his two cents in. Uh, so that's one main point, I'm sure. Dogen has probably uh, uh, has. I know he's he's uh, emphasized that in some of his other writings, and some of your other writings, um, and that I've learned from. And so, um, but I also want to uh, clarify just briefly that this pattern again. So, Hungshir, who Dogen respects very much, but is willing to also criticize in a subtle but important way, um, he brings up a dialogue from a couple centuries before. He also brings up a comment by um, uh, a previous uh, master who had remarked on the original dialogue. Um, So let's say the dialogue was um, 300 years before, and then the commentator that he refers to, Yunman, was 150 or 200 years before. And then then he makes his own move and says... uh, Here's my thought about it. And then 75 years or so after Jir Dogen comes along and says, well, Shui Feng said one thing, Yunmen said another thing, Jir said another thing, but here's what I am going to say. And that is the pattern, whether it's as specifically laid out or not. You know, the reason we picked this one is because it's so clear and I think we we're going to talk a, at least about one other one that's, that's very clear that way. But in other cases, it's not quite as clear because, you know, the, the transcription of the, of the Dharma whole discourse that we have in front of us, you know, moves very quickly or maybe it left something out or, or we have to really interpret it. But here we can see it's one, two, three. And then the implication is, what are you going to say about it? OK, back to Tyga.
3: Important. So the whole koan literature, you know, there's a, this famous slogan in Zen that uh, it's direct pointing to the mind beyond words and letters. That isn't to say that there's no study of words and letters, but it's not caught by words and letters. It's not determined by words and letters. And the whole koan tradition is there's an original story and then there's a commentary, and then there's commentaries on commentaries and, and more commentaries, and we continue we are continuing to make commentaries. Right. So we have libraries full of, of Zen literature, which are commentaries on commentaries on commentaries and so forth. <laughs> so, um, and based on these, li- these little pithy stories. <laughs> so uh, that's what koans are in a sense. Um, so here's another example. So thank you, Stephen, for that. Yeah. Um, so uh, this is, um, I'm going to read a, a story from Dogen's extensive record. Um, um and this is also this is a story that's actually also in Shobogenzo, uh his other masterwork. In Shobogenzo, it's called Shobogenzo Tembo Rin, Turning the Dharma Wheel. Uh and they're almost identical, but I'll read the version that's in the extensive record. And um this is the one, if you would, um uh uh David, if you would put that up on the screen now. This is the one that I want you to see. So, um, yeah, go back to the beginning, please. So, okay, this, this starts with Dogen quoting the world honored one, Shakyamuni, who said, and I loved. I, I just, I really like this, this story. When one person opens up reality and returns to the source, all space in the 10 directions disappears. That's a saying from Buddha, Shakyamuni Buddha in the Surangama Sutra. But then he has uh, four other uh, teachers who comment on that and add something to it. So teacher Wuzu of Mount Fayang said, again, with the same setup, when one person opens up reality and returns to the source, all space in the 10 directions, what happens to space? When one person opens up reality and returns to the source, all space in the 10 directions crashes together, resounding everywhere. So that's what Wu Zhu Fayan says. Then he goes to Zen Master Yuan Wu Keqin, Joshan, And this is the guy who uh, wrote the commentary for the Blue Cliff Record, Yuanwu. Wu, very important figure. And he says about this when one person opens up reality and returns to the source. You know, all space in the ten directions. In also in also in all space in the ten directions,
1: flowers are at. Ad-
3: I think that must have really loved it. So what happens when one person opens up reality and returns to the source? Then he quotes another teacher, Teacher Fushing Fatai said, "When one person opens up reality and returns to the source, all space in the ten directions." is simply all space in the 10 directions. (laughs) I like that one a lot, too. But then Dogen quotes his own teacher, Tiantang Wujing, who was his teacher in China, who uh, Stephen has referred to. My late teacher, Tiantang Wujing, said, although the world-honored one made the statement, when one person opens up reality and returns to the source, all space in the 10 directions disappears, this utterance cannot avoid becoming an extraordinary assessment. So Doggeth's teacher, Yu Jing says, I'm not like this. And then he says, when one person opens up reality and returns to the source, a mendicant breaks his rice bowl. So a mendic- so, uh, you know, we, we use oryoki bowls to eat in the zendo and the, and the, 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 the first bowl is what's used in China and Japan to go back begging, on begging rounds. So um, when one person opens up reality and returns to the source, maybe, maybe he, I don't know what's, what Rujing is saying exactly. One might interpret this in various ways. Maybe no need to go begging, or maybe no need to eat rice. I don't know. So this, is, this one puzzles me. Uh, I want to add, though, this basic setup when one person opens up reality and returns to the source, all space in the 10 directions, and then something. And, this, and I've often talked about Gigi Zamai in ben where Dogen says, when a Zazen practitioner sits in Zazen and displays Buddha Muja with their whole body and mind, all space, all phenomena, awakens. That's what Dogen says in that one. Here, Dogen adds something. He says, the previous five venerable teachers said it like this, but I, he Dogen, have a saying that is not like theirs. When one person opens up reality and returns to the source, Dogen says, all space in the ten directions opens up reality and returns to the source. So this is an example of Dogen quoting the Buddha and four other great, uh, Chinese Chan teachers, and then saying something himself. So this is a, a, you know, one of the common patterns of Koan commentary. Present other comments. And then this is how I would say it. And then sometimes as Stephen has pointed out, he would ask how he would ask, uh, His assembly, how would you say it? What would you say? But he doesn't do that here. He's just he makes this uh this declaration. And each one of these is uh worth reflecting on when one person opens up reality and returns to the source. I mean, just just that. (laughs) What does that mean when one person opens up reality and returns to the source? That's kind of amazing just to say that. But what happens to the environment, what happens to all space in the 10 directions, what happens? And there's five versions here, uh, before Dogen. And then Dogen gives a sixth. When that happens, all space in the 10 directions op- also opens up reality in terms to the source. So, uh, I really enjoy this. And again, it's here in the extensive record and, um, it's uh, also in uh, Shobogenzo Zotempo Rin, almost identically. Um, so uh, this is, an, you know, a good example of, uh, th- I don't know that this, I don't think this is in any of the koan collections, but it's uh, Dogen taking a saying from a sutra of Buddha and then all these different commentaries. So uh, I wanted to present that. To you. And uh, Stephen, do you have any anything? Uh, to yes, add uh,
4: thank you. Um, let me make a, a couple of additional points. As, as Taigen mentioned, um, and you can see this in the footnote on page uh, 198 in his translation, um, two, th- two points. One is that it's very, very similar to uh, an entire showbook, against Genzo fascicle, uh, Tembo Lin. Um, Now, that goes into a little more detail and has a little more uh, beyond this one, but it shows that there is, um, uh, this is an example of overlap between Dogen's two major uh, collections. Now, Shobogenzo was usually a different kind of discourse, public discourse, or discourse to his monks that was known as the informal style that was usually given either in Dogen's um, uh, abbot's quarters or in the monk's hall or somewhere else on the monastery grounds at different times of the day. Usually if he was inspired by um, a question that a monk raised or an idea that he had been thinking on, then he gave the Shobo, one of the Shobo Genzo uh, lectures um, that got recorded and we, and we have those um, now translated several different versions um, the extensive record was uh, known as the formal uh discourses where uh at certain times it was expected that the temple leader the abbot would hold forth um in the um, in the dharma hall uh several times a month and um a lot of times on ceremonial occasions um, as we said back in on 135 it was at the uh, for the winter solstice um, um and um, th- on this one, another thing that's mentioned in the footnotes is that the saying is from a um, a sutra. And show- it shows that both Dogen and his teacher, because he's citing his teacher's uh, references here, um, are, are not disregarding the sutras, but find that the sutras are a source of insight and wisdom, but need to be interpreted. Now, in addition, if we go up to the, if we can scroll up uh, uh, to the... Uh, uh, beginning of it. Okay, so let me mention a couple of other points. One is that let's look at the um, at the monks that are cited here, because um, it, it, you know, on the one hand, they um, uh, picked out you know several sayings that he thought were particularly relevant. At the same time, you know, why did he pick out these three sayings? Well, he may have wanted to refer to people representing uh different schools of thought in in Chan, um prior in, in or in chinese and prior to um to the time that Dogen uh, uh came to china so Dogen must have heard rujing giving his own dharma hall discourse about this and then uh cited it in in his uh in his teaching and uh, rujing refers to the teacher Wuzu of Fayan. Uh, he refers to the teacher Yuenwu of Jashan, and he refers to Fushing um, uh, as the as the third one. Um, so we have the Buddha's own saying, according to the sutra. So that does that means we don't know if the Buddha actually said this or not, but that's what's attributed to him in one of the Mahayana sutras. Then we have Wuzu of Fayan, who was a very important uh, leader of his own lineage. Uh, we have Yuen Wu of Jashan, who wrote the commentary of the Blue Cliff Record, and he had uh, a lineage that was a subdivision of Rinzai school. Um, Fuxing of uh, Fatai was a disciple of Yuen Wu, so it was another uh, Rinzai uh, school uh, figure. And... Um, you know we can wonder there's it's not clear we can wonder if um you know he's citing the these uh three because they were very familiar to his disciples or he's trying to make a point that these other schools didn't quite get it um and uh and that he's going to uh, proclaim it now the other thing i want to do briefly is let's look at the actual things that they say so um they all start with one person when one person opens up reality returns to source all space in the 10 directions does something first one disappears second one crashes together resounding everywhere third adds uh the flowers are added to the brocade okay so that's let me just touch on that for a second um You know, there's a a saying that's uh, famously used in the Zen writings, adding frost to snow or uh, moonlight shining on the white crane sitting in a silver vase. Uh, The idea uh, that um, you're um, uh, kind of repeating a certain perspective on reality in order to enhance it, not to make it redundant. So the the brocade uh, doesn't need any decoration. It already has the flowers. So on the one hand, flowers added to the brocade could sound like something negative. You're wasting your time. We already have the brocade. Why are you adding to it? Why do you add frost to snow? We already had it. Or from another perspective, it's the opposite. It's something very positive because just like you're commenting on the commentaries on the commentaries, you know, you're adding a new twist. You're adding your own unique flower to the brocade that that enhances it, accentuates it, and makes it more beautiful. Um, then, um, uh, fatai, uh, all space is simply all space in the ten directions. So it repeats the uh, original saying, but adds the simply to kind of reaffirm it. And then, if we go down to Rujing, a mendicant breaks his uh, rice bowl. Okay, so. Uh, that is a a kind of standard phrase that indicates that the, uh, that the monk uh, breaks his rice bowl. So either commits a transgression or had an accident that kind of breaks uh, the, uh, the discipline of the precepts or conversely, once again, it could be something positive that he doesn't need to depend on the rice bowl because he had the insight of awakening and and the spontaneity supersedes discipline at that point. Um, So of those, uh, uh, five that are added up here. I guess a question that could be asked, if we have time for this tie-in briefly, is to ask uh, our our people um, attending. Um, you know, uh, do we see a progression? Do we see uh, a real difference? Um, uh, is it clear that these are all deficient? When we look down at Dogans, uh, let's if we can scroll down to Dogans for a moment. Um, when he says all space in the 10 directions opens up reality uh, returns to the source. Okay. He's kind of uh, turning this into a, um, a uh, you know, what sometimes refers to as a, a chiasmic type of sentence where you go in one direction and then you reverse the direction and come back. It's a kind of uh, paradox. So is that, you know, if if we just uh, look at it kind of devil's advocate for a moment is Dogen's um superior or is Dogan? does Dogan have the last word here um did he surpass his teacher who surpassed the others uh Tygen I don't know if you want to throw that out for a question or you want or you want to go on to something else well I I do want to just add
3: a, few, a couple things uh okay before we and I do want to open this up to to questions and responses but um just first uh well, in terms of your last question, I, um, I think uh, scholars tend to think of these as uh, these coins as criticizing the previous the previous statements. I I kind of like all of them. I don't think we need to see them as criticizing, but we could. Some and sometimes they sometimes clearly they are. But I uh, um, I just like all of these myself.
4: But yes, they're all um, flowers on the brocade, so to speak.
3: Yes, the gilding the lily, maybe. But That's right. Uh, also okay. adding yeah. something. Uh, yeah. So uh, mm-hmm. I just want to say one, one thing, comparing Shobogenzo and Dogen's extensive record, that Dogen's extensive record, the, the, the sermons or Dharma Hall discourses are ra- usually rather brief, very brief sometimes. And so in a sense, they're, they're more formal. And he, he does something like this with the koans, where he comments on them um in some ways they are uh, uh, they give more of a view of dogen as a person and his hu- sense of humor and uh even though they're more formal they're more personal in a way shobogenzo on the other hand the essays are longer he takes a theme or and then uses many koans to describe it or he takes one koan and elaborates on it so the st-
4: Yes, yes, exactly. And I think you're right of, about the uh, sense of humor and, in um, in the uh, extensive record um, and kind of more personal, even though it's more, form- even though it's quote unquote formal. Yeah, that's a very good point.
3: Yeah. But the ends. though was, you know, very much the scenic route. And David, I think you can take away this. Well, we might want to bring it back, but yeah, just, uh, and I want to offer my own capping phrase. So uh, as an exercise that I did with, uh, my teacher and peers a while back, uh, I wrote uh, four-line verses to all of the essays in Shobo Genzo. Uh, and this is for Shobo Genzo Temporin. Um, uh, now I have to find it. Yeah, uh, Turning the Dharma Wheel. Um, so this is a common way. So we've seen this where there. it's a common way of um, Commenting on koans, where there's a four-line verse commenting on them, and we did this for the Shobogenzo essays, which are in a way koan commentaries, most of the many of them. So anyway, I did this for for Shobogenzo Rin opening up reality and returning to the source in the jingle jangle morning. A temborin man plays a song. Hmm. All space flowers entirely vanished
1: but for the sky
3: there are no fences facing so that's my commentary on Shobo of Timber um, so um, uh, so I, I want to open this up for questions, discussions discussion responses David, Ray, could you call on people and I just, my, my internet connection is unstable so I may need to move to an another room in the middle of this but David if you would call on people and I'll respond or Stephen can respond or
2: I will I'm glad to call on people and since we're uh since we're two screens worth of people I I think what might be the most effective is to use the hand raise down on the participant list or at the top of your of, of your box and I've also shared the text in in the chat in case you want to access it and Nyozan's hand is up
1: Uh, yes, um, it seems,
0: I don't know if this is responsive to the overall thrust of of, of the talk, but it's a comment on, on part of it. Um, there are clearly places in the koans where uh, one person in the dialogue is clearly criticizing or correcting or amending what a previous teacher had said, Uh, but I'm thinking about this. Stephen's comment about, uh, you know, whether it might be regarded as as just sort of filling out the garland, uh, these different comments, and particularly in this last comment, um, or this last koan you discussed, where it starts with Shakyamuni. And uh, one would presume that the teacher's are likely not trying to, they may be trying to elucidate. It's very unlikely they're trying to correct or amend Shakyamuni's utterance in any way. So I wonder if one way to think about it, at least a koan of that nature, is not so much um, that we have a series of corrections or um, emendations to what previous teachers have said. And think of it, it would be reasonable to think it more in terms of as practitioners, when we encounter the Dharma, when we engage with the Dharma, at some point we are all called to make our own response and um, and take it on in our own way. And th- maybe that's what we have a record of, is, is just a series of people um, displaying for us their own dharma position specific response to a con without the necessarily an expectation that it's a, a correction. Um, it's just an ex- maybe just expression.
3: Uh, I'll just say, I, I agree with that, but Stephen may have another view. Go ahead, Stephen.
4: Okay. Yes. I, I think that's, uh, you know, I think Taigen and and uh, Nyozan made uh, very good, uh, points that, um, uh, one's own. Um, and I think, yeah, in a way that is the bottom line. Um, uh, so, um, and, and that certainly would be in accord with the scenic route and roundabout way of just saying, let's keep exploring. Let's, let's look at it from, you know, let's flip it around and look at it from different angles. And I might, and I think Dogan, you know, some people say, point out in so-called inconsistencies or contradictions within Dogen's writings, because, he took a certain view at one point, and another view, and maybe that's all fine because it depends on the particular circumstance and situation, and the and the you know uh, what I uh, think of as the pedagogical level of the of the person in training. To, to what extent is their understanding developed at that point? And there's a certain expectation uh, f- by the uh, teacher and by the peers that this is what they're going to uh, put forward. So uh uh I, I agree it it you know we probably should not look at it as as a kind of one upmanship on the other hand you know if we look at the um at the wording in that passage and the two passages that we talked about uh let's go back to number one thirty five where um uh dogan uh, comments about the um about the polishing um the jewel um, and he says this about hunger now keep in mind that on this winter solstice Hall discourse he had cited hunger extensively uh, you know that's an acknowledgement of his respect for for hunger um, but he does say and i'm reading from the translation um although uh, these three venerable ones meaning hung and Yun-man and Shui Fang, spoke this way I old man Daibutsu did not agree great assembly listen carefully and consider this well so the the you know the you know the rhetoric of i'm going to have an amendation that's maybe a, even a correction is there Now, whether he wants you to take it seriously or it's it's kind of, uh, you know, p- a playful part of the discourse that's relative to that particular circumstance, and you shouldn't just stay with that point. But on the other hand, I think, you know, if you look at Dogen's other approaches towards Hongzhi, who he cites a lot of times, but also very famously in the uh, fascicle Zazen Shin, the, the point of Zazen or the needle of Zazen, um, uh, he Rewrite, he, he uh, comments on a Hongjir poem about meditation and rewrites it significantly. And, you know, I, I think it's hard to avoid a uh, implication that uh, there's a, a kind of corrective there. Now, if we go back to 170, uh, to discourse number 179, the one we're looking at, Uh, Keep in mind, first of all, that uh, in addition to the world-honored one, or or Shakyamuni uh, being cited, here he takes on his own teacher. So if there's one person he has total respect for over and over again, it's Rujing. And he says that once Rujing died, uh, uh, Zen in China uh, fell apart, (laughs) whether that's an overstatement or not. Um, it was kind of true that Zen in China was going into a period of decline uh, for a lot of different reasons, and and uh, you know, uh, fifty years later, the uh, the Mongols would invade, and you get into the Yuan Dynasty, and and that that really um, uh, threw uh, threw Zen into a, a further uh, decline, uh, just as Zen was taking off in Japan. So you know, there's a lot of complicated implications uh, about it, but. He does say, you know, Rujing does say, um, and the translation reads, Tiendang, or Tiendang Rujing is not like this. So he kind of, you know, they they traditionally refer to themselves in the third person. Um, uh, And um, so Rujing is saying, I am not like this. And then Dogen says, I, Ehe, have a saying that is not like theirs. So there is that implication. Now, we could, could, I think we could go to, you know, uh, Buddhism always talks about two levels of truth. Uh, You know, that's a basic Mahayana uh, position that uh, Dogen doesn't specifically mention, but I think we could evoke it here. And we could say that on um, the relative level of truth, there is a back and forth. I mean, the whole point of the dialogue is that there is a repartee. There is an exchange. There is an interplay. And people are led into different states of mind through that exchange that they didn't have uh, previously are there winners or losers? No, Dogan says they're not. And so then we go to the, you know, more uh absolute or, rel- or ultimate level of truth. And on that level, then um it's all, you know, it's all good. But we can't realize the that all these sayings are are um you know, flowers on the brocade without also acknowledging the relative position, I think. Okay, so See
2: Joshua, then Jonathan, then Brian, then Paul.
5: I'm sorry, I don't know how to uh use the, the hand raise function. Um is it on the bottom side? I don't I don't see it.
3: Yeah, see uh, it? Malik for uh if you on the bottom and and uh, uh click on that, then at the bottom of that there's a raise hand function.
5: Sorry, where was it again?
3: If you go to the bottom of your, of the, your Zoom window and mm-hmm. click on participants, okay, yep. then you'll see another window on the right. And at the bottom of that, there's a raise. Oh, room.
5: I see. Okay. Thank you.
4: By the way, Ty, again, I wanted to m- briefly mention Jonathan and Malik, uh, you both met briefly when you were at FIU a couple of years ago for the symposium on Togan. So.
5: Oh,
2: right. I remember now. Yeah.
3: So, uh, yeah, uh, go ahead, David uh, Ray, and please call on people. Uh, Joshua, I,
2: I think I saw your hand first.
4: Yes, thank you. Um, I had a uh, kind of an observation about uh, Dogen in general, and it was of the mindset. Let me go to my notes here. I don't want to mess this up. So I received a deep sense that Dogen and his contemporaries utilized expedient or skillful means when interpreting and reinterpreting koans and sutras. And it made me think of kind of my study of like the Lotus Sutra, and how he might have been influenced by his time studying Tendai. And I was just curious what the thoughts were from the panel on, like, how that might have influenced his his way of kind of looking at things with more of an equilibrium instead of looking at things as a black or white issue. He kind of lived in the gray area of that time period. Thank you.
3: Yes, if I may. Yeah, I think Dogen was very much influenced by the Lotus Sutra, even though you know there are differences between Zen and Tendai, Zen was in general was very much, and particularly Dogen and Soto Zen was very much influenced by the Lotus Sutra. I wrote a whole book about that called "Visions of Awakening: Space and Time, Dogen and the Lotus Sutra," and uh, the Lotus Sutra was very much uh, about, and very important for Dogen. He cites it very often. So yes, I think your observation is 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 quite uh, quite well. Uh, quite quite right, that there's, that, that Dogen does, uh, you, know, you know, Stephen mentioned that Dogen says one thing at one pl- time and one thing at another time, sometimes, and in some cases, and I think that the idea of skillful means, responding differently to different groups is uh, part of why there's been confusion about Dogen, and, and Stephen clarifies this, I think, in his book uh, about Dogen's career—that uh, it's not—I don't think as as what one of the stereotypes was that Dogen changed his view in, from early to late Dogen. I don't really think so. A couple of exceptions, but um, he he was talking to different people. He was talking to different people when he was teaching in Kyoto. He was talking to monks primarily when he was teaching up at Eheiji, and so that made a difference in terms of how he was talking. But yeah. He very much was influenced by the Lotus Sutra and there are lots of ways in which Tendai is uh, very much the background of Soto Zen in terms of the precepts also. So yes, thank you for that observation.
4: Stephen, I don't know if you have comments. Yeah, on that. Um, definitely. Um, uh, you know, Taigen's book um, demonstrates um, the impact of the Lotus Sutra on a lot of Dogen's philosophy and um, yeah, so uh you know, um, Dogen was uh, an observer. You know, if we use contemporary jargon, he was kind of a participant observer when he went to China. So, on the one hand, he was trying to get enlightenment, so he had a lot of stake, and he was a participant. At the same time, as a uh, you know, uh, the Chinese were good at record keeping, like you know, where were the temples located, how many buildings they had, how many people attended. But they there weren't so many narratives about what it was like to travel from temple to temple and interact with different people in, in this kind of um, diary style or journal or memoir style that Dogen actually captures and part, uh, and then another part of his observing Zen in China is yes, attend a a Lotus Sutra, of course, was very important in China as well. There's no question about that, but it had a kind of supremacy in the Tendai school that Dogen initially learned from, and it gave a, a kind of perspective on, um, Uh, you know, to him on Zen that I think, I think, uh, you know, your question does uh, highlight. And one uh, little detail is that um, if you look at Nishijima uh, translation, um, uh, 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 the four volume translation, I think there's two different four volume versions of it, uh, but I think in both versions of it, there's an appendix where it cites, it, it lists Dogen citations of the Lotus Sutra, Chapter by chapter, and like the koans, a lot of times it's hard to identify each particular one because it might be kind of indirect, or it might be using some phrasing without specifically saying, "Hey, this is from the Lotus Sutra." But there's dozens of examples. I think se- I, I think several hundred examples, maybe over uh, 200 examples, where Dogen is citing it in Shobogenzo. So it does um, show that this is a central element, as Taigen brought out in his book. Okay. I think Jonathan's hand was next. Yes.
6: Uh, <clears throat> sorry, if I can add uh, just a, a comment and maybe a, a question. Um, you know, one thing that, uh, uh, you know, it might be wrong, but uh, I realize is that all of these examples are kind of interconnected in a way, and it kind of shows uh, Dogen's philosophy. And I think that Dogen's trying to tell us that, you know, while all these masters and koans have this great insight, we can't just like passively wait to, to be enlightened through these koans. Instead, you know, we have to, Add to that brocade, we have to polish that pearl in order to be able to to really get uh, you know something out of these uh, uh, koans and uh, uh, all these sayings from the masters. Um, that being said, you know Dogen uh, often uh, said, if I'm not mistaken, that you know there was no Zen sect or there's no actual sect; like it's just true Buddhism. Um, and obviously, he had the authority and the authenticity to be able to comment on these uh, uh, on these masters' uh, writings. So what would be the message to his students by, by doing something like this? Like, does he, is he actively saying, you know, you, you can uh, kind of input your own uh, kind of uh, interpretation to these, uh, to these readings or, you know, eventually you'll be able to reach there. You know, uh, what, what would be his, his message to, to his disciples
4: with the, with his writings? Um, Okay. Uh Okay. I think you're asking a very good question. Could you sum it up in one sentence, it's just so I can clarify it in my mind? I'm sorry to.
6: Yeah. Um, answer. It. So, uh, so obviously, Dogen had the 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 authority and the authenticity to challenge to challenge, or not to challenge, but to you know comment extensively on on the works right. of these masters. What would right. be his uh, What would be his his message then to his?
4: Well, okay. So on on the one hand, I think what he was trying to do was to introduce a vast amount of. Uh, materials that he had um, been exposed to in, in China, that he read in China, and he probably brought back a lot of manuscripts um, to Japan or or uh, maybe some of his colleagues, some of the anonymous colleagues that were taking similar journeys and don't become famous like he did, uh, were going back and forth between China and Japan, and were bringing the records of these koans, you know, that filled up volumes and volumes of scrolls Into Japan, and he was trying to distill it, encapsulate it, and kind of distribute distribute it um, to um, or disseminate it to uh, his his disciples as as I don't want to say as quickly, but in a kind of time efficient way. Like he know, I mean, he he died at fifty three, which was kind of premature. And maybe he would have lived uh, uh longer, so he didn't he didn't know, but he was he you I I get a sense that he was kind of in this hurry-up mode a lot of times. Let me just get all this out here. That's why he was so uh productive, and that's why he gave the different styles of sermons, that he was trying to look for ways like how can I get these points across. So he wanted people to become familiar with it. And I think the point is that, and you know, we can see this in the examples that, that we gave especially when we look at it from the point of view that was mentioned, like it's not competitive, it's adding, you know, a flourish to continue the decoration of the beautiful brocade, Um, which is that um, uh, you live side by side with the, with the uh, previous ancestors. Um, Like, you know, the dialogues that you're hearing about are embedded, become embedded within you. They're part of your spiritual, um, uh, structure, so to speak, you know, that, that, that you're, um, um, you know, all, you know, from Shakyamuni through Bodhidharma, Huineng uh, to Rujing and Dogen there, you know, there's, they, there's a sequence, there's a chronological sequence, but they're kind of simultaneous at the same time. They're all part of what Dogen calls being time or existence time, the unity of all beings at all times. And, And so he wants he wants people to live and breathe it. I think one main thing, whether it's China or Japan, Dogen or some of the others, is that um, I I believe that these people spent a lot of time reading this stuff, talking about it, hearing about it in different lectures and sermons and knowing it backwards and forwards in a way that's hard for us to quite fathom because, um, you know, we're just catching up. And as much as we can try to read about it, it's still it's the, there's still so much more to go. But um, uh, but he was trying to, you know, get, again, get the uh, get his disciples in Japan ready to absorb these vast amounts of material. And, and he was right that, uh, you know, as time went by, they became more and more uh, popular and more and more important in both Rinzai and Sotose. Let
3: me just add to that. Thank you, Stephen. Um, um, I would just add, I think, you know, to your question about what what was he expect. Part of what you were asking was what did he expect from his students, and I think um, a big part of it is well, how do you? What is your response to this issue? So these these ancient stories from the seven hundreds and eight hundreds and so forth uh, have been survived. Because they tell us something about our own practice, it's not about some historical event. So we still uh, s- study these stories because they are about our own practice. So when I work with when I work with students about with these stories, whether it's in a in a, in a talk or individually, which I sometimes do, the point isn't to finish this story because I don't. You know these stories you know, you you can come back to and there's still more, you know, you never finish any of these stories in my, from my point of view, Uh, you, but at some point you may so fully incorporate the story in your practice body that then you can go and look at another one, but you never finish with any of them. So, so how does it become, as as Stephen was saying, uh, maybe in in different words, how does the story become part of your Practice awareness, practice body. How does the issue in the story, the way the story is framed, sometimes by several different teachers or whoever it is, um, how does you know the Buddha nature of this dog <laughs> become part of your awareness? So, and then, and then, and then, how do you respond to that? So that's what I would say in response to your question.
6: Thank you, thank you, Dr. Hai, thank you,
2: Dr. Lee. I think next up are Brian, then Paul, then Malik.
7: Uh, thank you for such an illuminating uh, talk. Um, I, I have a comment, and and then following up on Jonathan's question, I think and Tigan's response to it. Um, just the comment, quick comment, is that it, it, what you presented reminds me in one way a, a lot of the Jewish Talmudic tradition of uh, various scholars over over the centuries taking their own crack at things and then those coming up against each other over time and the new students doing the same with previous uh, commentaries. But the, the question I had really maybe follows up with Jonathan is, you know, this could be taken to the extreme where the student or I am um, encouraged to make my own response um, and it could become whatever you want it to be. It's like, whatever. <laughs> and and where are the guardrails then? And w- where is the corrective then? Is it in Dokusan? Um, in this tradition, um, we make our response, but there's something in terms of, um, is, is our response guiding us further into the Dharma or taking us away from it?
3: If I may, good good question. And that's the role of the teacher, to help guide the response to something that is productive for your practice, that is productive for your investigation of Dharma. So there are, you know, I remember giving responses to my teacher that were just obviously stupid. And he told me so, (laughs) you know, Um, but uh, you know, if the response is, um, you know, coming from a place of, really digging into what is this about
1: then
3: then and then the role of the teacher then is to ask further questions. Well, how, you know, to, so it's, again, it's not that you finish with it, but how do you then work with it further?
4: Um, Yes. And I think we could presume, I'm sorry, were you done? We
3: I was done. Brian, I don't know if Brian had a comment.
4: Okay. Good. Yes stephen go ahead okay yeah i i um i imagine that uh uh the the teacher's teacher also you know uh it did that and you know it, it goes on so when does the when does the level of self um awareness and self confidence come that that one becomes the teacher that can you know to make those judgments and provide the guardrails and you know it be it, it it's uh it's an it's a very fascinating uh, process um you know, I remember there was a documentary on Zen um, some years ago where uh, they showed a doksan process and, and the monks were dealing with the mu koan. And one uh, says uh, mu and uh, doesn't say it in a very dramatic way. The other goes mu. And, um, <laughs> you know, then the teacher says that, the you know, you'd think that the one who, who growls mu in a very dramatic way would be um the one who was acknowledged but in fact the other one was acknowledged so it's hard for you know it would be hard for an outsider to know you'd have to be inside the the uh, teaching process itself to to really be able to make uh, that judgment on the on your uh, remark about the talmudic style you know t- uh, there's the, a sense that um in talmudic study that um you're kind of put it you know that there's there's two parties that are d- debating and then they have to sometimes switch sides and take the opposite view from what they had taken uh, in the previous session. And there's the uh, metaphor used of like putting um, pepper, you know, that that the two parties that are discussing an issue are are putting pepper in, in front of each other to kind of irritate them, to make them sneeze, but that you know, kind of they're sneezing out, you know, or teasing out uh, and even you know, more appropriate uh, response to the uh, particular context. So I think there's probably, you know, many other teaching traditions. I mean, I think as Zen developed in Japan, medieval Japan, um, you know, the one way I look at it is that you can compare it to some of the, and and it got involved in some of the arts, of course, and, you know, the fine arts, literary arts, uh, gardening, tea ceremony, um, and and other kinds of um, skills, like, let's say, carpentry and you know uh, and and that was an essential item around temples because you were trying to build new buildings or rebuild ones that had gotten um destroyed by storms or whatever and um there was a kind of an apprenticeship style of teaching so that you know a great teacher would would have uh his way of leading students and they didn't want to necessarily give out those kind of quote unquote secrets to other people that weren't part of that lineage or weren't part of that uh apprenticeship studio and so they didn't always uh write down because you know that they could lose track of that and somebody else could get hold of those notes and so it was a it was often an oral teaching not that they were trying to um you know keep secrets necessarily but they wanted to have the integrity of their particular uh teaching style so i think that's something that involved in in zen in the soto's uh zen you know in the generations after dogen Okay I think I saw Paul's hand go up next
1: um yes i have I have maybe a slightly different look at
8: this, and as someone who has went through one of those teaching processes in Japan of the apprenticeship i have i have I have a great under i have a great respect and and, and appreciation of it. And it's a it's it's um it's a little different than the way teaching is done in the West, um, but I also have a little bit different take on this subject at hand, and that I see all five answers as being exactly the same. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's any difference between them, and that and that it shows the closing the gap between self and other. So, if you understand, as you said, Twitter Dogen was just there that that. We are no different than everybody else in the Ten Directions. We are the Ten Directions. We are the Self Anointed One. Then, whatever, whatever viewpoint you have, it's the same viewpoint.
4: Um. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I think um, that's a fascinating point. So you're saying that um, maybe Rujing. Uh, cited Shakyamuni and picked out the other three. Um, uh, not, you know, because he admired that they were different ways of of getting around to the same basic point. That's what you're saying. Is that what you're no. saying?
8: No? no, I'm not saying that. I'm saying that if you were coming from the point of the world anointed one. Right. And, and as it says, in, you know, that I alone am the world anointed one, if you're coming from that point of view, they're, it's, they are all the same. It's all. It's just. It's all this. It's it's all part of the same same web of, of Indra's net. It's all part of the same one. It's all part of the ten directions, um, and that they're not they're not in conflict or different or or in some way. Um, there's it's not a it's not there's no there's no friction between them,
1: right? Because there's, right.
8: there's no space between them,
1: right?
4: Anyway, um, anyway yeah. no, I think, and, uh, yeah, I think, and, okay, Tigan, did you want
3: to? Yeah, no, I would just a- agree with that, that,
4: yeah. that they are,
3: so what what we are talking about are various ways of expressing this basic ultimate experience. So, uh, yeah, it, from that because point
8: Because we're, we're all different people. And but we're all the, but we're all the same person at the same time so so that's so of course we're going to see things differently depending on our on our on our on our our karmic background, but at the same time, we're not separate from everybody else either so the the vision the vision is not it's not a your vision is opposed to my vision is better than your vision or or it's a, it's it's all part of it's all part of one whole. That we are, that we are, that we are situated in.
3: Yeah, I I I, I agree with that, and but uh, the two truths came, came up. So, from the point of view of uh, and skillful means came up. So, from the point of view of ultimate truth, yes, absolutely, what you are saying is is uh, clear. And yet, from the perspective of the particulars and all the different. Ways, particular ways of expressing it. We have particular ways of expressing it, and then from the point of view of skillful means, which uh, I think Jonathan was asking, uh, then how do you express it for the sake of particular deluded, to <laughs> so put it te- technically, beings? Uh, is uh, you know a question, but it's, they're not. They're not different, as you say that that i i think that's that, that that's my response to what you're saying
4: yeah let me um, so i i get the point i think uh, um and i i like that point and um but let, let's yeah going back to the uh level of relative truth let's go back to a phrase that i think uh Brian brought up guardrail um so these are all eminent you know you have shakyamuni you have Rujing and have three other eminent uh teachers um so they all get it right from their view um from you know their respective views and they're sharing the view but um would it be the case that uh, somebody does somebody else a novice somebody inexperienced somebody just learning the way um would would not get it right and as Tygan said you know you were told by your teachers you were reprimanded by your teacher occasionally, right?
8: Sure. <laughs> you can't. You can't. You you can't get it wrong, if you're doing it with the mind of the mind that's open to the ten directions, or if you it's 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 your mind that's the it's your mind that's the important thing. Yes. Not not the not the answer, not the the statement. In 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 Rinzai in Rinzai Doksan, often the student will be wrung out. The teacher will ring the bell even before he opens his mouth. It's it's all about it's all about the, the energy that you personify, right? Not, yeah. not a verbal not a verbal answer. So so you when you when you when you when you understand that when you understand the, the unity of of all things, then any answer you give is correct. And, there's no guardrails. There's no guardrails, no guard but but you have to, but you have to have, use the, the the highway analogy. You have to be running the. You have to be in the right vehicle, and then there's no guardrails.
3: And just to add to it, these these are not. They these seem like literary exercises. This seems. I mean, this is a literary genre. These koans, in some sense, but actually, it's not about. Some literary event—it's you have to be there. It's the actual experience. So, um, the, so I, I sometimes uh, recommend reading a koan as if it's a theatrical piece and imagining uh, or, or trying to trying to be there in the experience, and uh, even like imagining you know actors who would play the different parts. How do you put yourself in? The experience of um, Zhou and the monk inquiring and what is going on, and and to see it as a scene in. Uh, so, yeah, as Paul is saying, it's it, it, it's a it's an experienced event. Uh, so it's not about saying it perfectly; it's about what is behind it also. So that's part of the subtlety of the whole thing.
4: Yeah. Yeah. Good.
2: Malik's hand is up and I'm afraid you've been waiting for a long time, Malik.
5: No problem. Uh, thank you so much for your presentation. I really appreciate it. Um, and uh, I just wanted to uh, make a comment about um, the, the commentaries of the masters regarding the 10 directions and um I, I found it, at least uh, this is my interpretation that when I was looking at it, but um, uh, it seems that these masters have sort of like their own um, sort of their own philosophy shines through each of their remarks on it. And and I thought Dogen's was very interesting and striking to me because, um, you know, the, the other masters seem to have a sort of like cause and effect when this, when uh, one opens oneself to reality, um in th- the ten directions, then the rice bowl breaks or um you know uh, flowers added to the brocade. But uh with Dogen um he simply sort of I think he sort of denies that cause and effect that worldly cause and effect and tries to make to make that apparent and and kind of reaffirms mm-hmm. the um the reality of, of the ten directions um and kind of makes it um kind of brings it back like like um you know uh taigen was saying but um i that i think that was also very reminiscent of sort of dogen's um practicing philosophy with shikantaza to where um he says in the shoku uh soku shin zebutsu in in the Shobogenzo, um where if one has the intent or aspiration to practice they will um they uh, and upon practicing, they will awaken themselves, um, and that happens almost sim- simultaneously. Um, so s- I guess um, in in, D- in Dogen's statement, in that in that sense, just wait, um, just opening oneself to reality um, sort of just affirms itself. So I, so I thought that was interesting, but um, I don't know if my interpretation is correct.
4: Um. Yeah, I mean, from a certain angle, I I do like that idea that, you know, that um, if we're studying Dogen um, and he's he's saying, hey, wait a second. These people said it this way. I'm saying it this way. There's something to learn from the way he said it, I think, even though I do respect the view that uh, it doesn't mean it's superior to the others. Um, And if you had been there when they were there, maybe you would have you know learned from them. But, you know, and Dogen's uh, assembly, you're learning uh, from his style. Um, now you mentioned sokushin, uh sokushin uh, Zebutsu, this um this mind itself is Buddha, which um, is a uh, uh an important fascicle in Shobo Genzo and is based on a saying attributed to the uh, Chinese master mazu and in that you know he uses the phrase um, uh, he only mentions it briefly but he cites it here and there in his works uh uh making mistake after a mistake, which is often um, translated more positively as making the right mistake. Um, and, um, you know, that that could be a way of encapsulating uh, the process that uh, Dogen himself is, is sometimes making a mistake. So oh, everybody gets it right in their own way, but at the same time, you have to keep polishing the way you're doing it, um, the way you're doing it and the way you're saying it, and the way you're saying it reflects the way you're doing it. And, and there's that uh, interplay between um, the doing and the saying um and you and you keep polishing it because there might be a better way to say it in in another circumstance uh not not better in the sense that uh, you know the conventional sense of superiority, but more appropriate to the circumstances of that particular teaching uh context.
1: Thank
2: you Kai. Okay, I did see your hand intermittently
7: howdy um i was wondering if you could elaborate about the difference between um the shortcut and the scenic route and it seems like most self-respecting zen students would want to take the scenic route um but is there something lost when you do
4: yeah okay so the scenic route is um the um the Japanese uh, term for it is wato. Um, wa means um, word and, and to means head or key or main. And, you know, it's sometimes it's translated as the key word or the main phrase. That, um, and the idea um, was that, um, uh, you know, most of the dialogues, does the Doga Buddha nature move? Okay, it comes down to the move. There may be different ways of pronouncing it. Or reciting it, um, or delivering that in the context of an in interaction with the teacher, there may be different ways of interpreting it, um, but in the end, it boils down to a key component. So you focus on that, and that that style is still very much used in some in some Rinzai schools, and it, it's uh, still very popular. And in, in, uh, my understanding uh, is that it's still very popular in, in uh, Korean Zen, and that. Uh, But it's not a simple shortcut either because uh, that shortcut can be polished over the course of many years. So my understanding in some forms of Korean Zen, for example, is that people may be assigned the Mu koan, but they're developing that not not for a brief period and then go on to other koans, but they may be cultivating uh, that one koan for a very uh, prolonged period of time. So probably there's no true shortcut. Probably the shortcut was a way of referring to a process for the sake of um, lay disciples, since in China, Zen at that time, they're very eager to promote Zen uh, among the um, secular community as well. Um, and, you know, when Dogen went to China, we can see that he often talked to government officials and even uh, people in the military or people who were in the civil service or uh, you know, we, we we can see that he had those interactions. That was pretty common in Zen in China at the time. When he got back to Japan, um, in his, for him, and it seemed like in the early days when he got back to Japan and Kyoto, he was kind of exploring, could he bring that model of Zen teachers interacting with um, lay disciples, but eventually went for the monastic model. So for the monastic uh, uh, model where you're, Dedicated, you know, you have people dedicated twenty four seven, but they come from different backgrounds, different levels of of uh, of um, knowledge about the history of Zen and the history of Buddhist uh, teachings, um, different capabilities. Uh, When he goes up in the mountains, we have to assume that that the disciples that he got there were not as well educated as as in Kyoto. Uh, They, you know, in Kyoto, probably they could all read the Chinese Uh, in in the mountains. Maybe only a handful could read Chinese. We don't know those things for sure. But the idea is that there's a multiplicity of levels. So you have like the one teaching. And then you design to target uh, it to uh, people at their uh, in their situations, um, in their circumstances, what is appropriate. I think the key word is appropriate to the circumstances of the teaching so for some uh shortcut works um or it works at a certain stage um because you can't wrap your mind around these endless multiplicity of like everything is okay i mean, you know maybe that's just too much relativism for somebody to uh process it at a particular time and it just becomes endlessly confusing so there has to be a sense of like okay we, we conquered this stage let's go into the next stage there there would be a sequ- sequential uh pattern I mean, I think a lot of it, um, you know, I'm not, uh, you know, an expert on early childhood educational processes, but, you know, I did raise a couple of kids when I think back on, you know, um, you know, I, you know, I had two sons and, you know, I saw like, you know, um, you know, I remember back in the days when they were learning to ask for food, you know, like I want the ketchup for this hamburger, you know, and, uh, you know, um, one of them, um, you know, they, they would act in, in different ways. One of them, you know, went, would go like this, like he was banging the ketchup bottle. <laughs> and one of them would uh, kind of free associate about the word ketchup and say something a little bit similar. And um, you know, I think, I think, I so I think, I think it kind of boils down to that. But at the same time, there was a fierce debate. So the shortcut people would say, "Hey, like you're wasting your time. You're going to endlessly spin your wheels." But generally, the advocates of the shortcut, if we look carefully at their corpus of writing, they also had very elaborate uh, interpretations as well. Probably that for that was for their higher level of disciples. That was for the people that were, you know, that they worked with more intensively. So um, uh, kind of different strokes for different folks, to use an old cliche. And um, I wouldn't wouldn't want to dispute the the shortcut approach, but... um, but, there, you know, there's no question. And if you read, I think San Kyo fascicle has the famous passage that Hee Jin Kim talked about many, many years ago and that has been, you know, analyzed by a number of scholars since then. And I think you can always go back to that passage where he says, like, if you reduce koans to kind of these absurdities and these just these puzzles, you're not getting anywhere. And that's where he's very adamant about it. Um, but in other cases, who knows? Maybe Dogen found the, you know, could have found it appropriate. Uh, to certain circumstances.
3: Thank you, Stephen. Um, We are kind of over time, but if there's anybody else who would like to ask a question or respond or have a comment, uh, we could have one more.
4: Yeah, there was, you know, there was um, uh, a prominent um, scholarly article about Zen um, uh, reviewing different uh, koan interpretations a few years ago. And the title of it was, uh, Who Has the Last Word of Zen? (laughs) Of course, Dogen does, I guess. (laughs) But um, maybe uh, anybody have a last word or maybe silence is... uh, is a good I've
7: heard one. that there is no last word in Zen.
4: <laughs> yeah. Uh,
7: well it hasn't been spoken yet.
4: <laughs> okay. So Taigen, what do you what what is I, I it's hard for me to see the image uh, behind you. Um
3: oh, this is uh this is my grass hut back here. It's uh this is no this is a seshu landscape scroll.
4: Oh the seshu, yeah. Okay yeah.
3: so um well David, maybe we can close with the four bodhisattva vows. And then we can have anu- and then afterwards we'll have announcements and some informal time to hang out for anyone who wants. Very good. Um,
2: if, if I may, I'll mute everybody and then share the, the screen in case uh, someone needs the text. Let's see. And here's the text of the four vows, which we'll chant together beings are numberless i vow to free them delusions are inexhaustible i vow to end them dharma gates are boundless i vow to enter them buddha's way is unsurpassable i vow to realize it Beings are numberless, I vow to free them. Delusions are inexhaustible, I vow to end them. Dharma gates are boundless, I vow to enter them. Buddha's way is unsurpassable, I vow to realize it. Beings are numberless, I vow to free them. Illusions are inexhaustible. I vow to end them. Dharma gates are boundless. I vow to enter them. Buddha's way
1: is unsurpassable. I vow to realize it.